Execution Hour by Gordon Reaney. Narrated by a border prince. It is to our eternal regret that whilst many previous and, dare I say, less academically rigorous chroniclers of the Gothic sector wars have preferred to concentrate their limited scope on the already well-detailed, if admittedly grandiose, events that occurred during the latter stages of that most tumultuous of struggles. There are many notable actions from the earlier stages of the conflict that have not yet received their due proper examination. Certainly, I do not speak of those justifiably celebrated actions such as Compel Bast's heroic defence of Aura, or Admiral Varus's defiant last stand at Platea. For Emperor knows, these events have been examined many times already, with seemingly each new chronicler finding something both less interesting and original to say concerning them than the previous one to him. Although, esteemed and studious reader, pray hope that I do not flatter myself unduly when I tell you now that I intend to defy and reverse this sorry fashion when I come to examine these events myself in those relevant later chapters. No, I speak now of several of the many smaller actions which took place in those earliest and darkest days of the war, as the carrion fleets of the despoiler fell upon the lacks, and unprepared forces of battle fleet Gothic, while it may seem perverse to examine actions involving duels between single opposing ships when set against the background of a stellar conflict that would later involve fleet-sized battles on a scale not witnessed since the age of the Horus Heresy, the serious student of the Gothic sect to war will, I pray, come to realise my interest in but one of these smaller actions when I reveal now that it involves two names that would later feature significantly not merely in the history of Battlefleet Gothic, but also in the annals of Battlefleet Segmentum Obscurus itself. I speak, of course, of Leoten Semper and his vessel, the Lord Solar Macarius. Scribe Emertius Rodrigo Conniger From Into the Jaws of Death, Into the Mouth of Hell. Notable actions of the Gothic Sector War, 143 to 149, M41. Part 1. Baptism of Fire. Good hunting, Macarius. They were the first words that anyone had spoken aloud on the bridge of His Divine Majesty's ship, the Lord Solar Macarius, for hours. There was no such thing as silence on an Imperial Navy warship, where the decks shook with the ever-present rumble of the massive plasma engines, and every corridor, work bay, and compartment echoed with the sounds of the more than 10,000 specimens of toiling, sweating humanity that made up its crew. Still, the mood aboard the Dictator-class cruiser was eerily quiet, and even here, on the bridge, the command crew spoke only in muted whispers, as they relayed orders and status checks between themselves and over the internal comnet to hundreds of other points throughout the ship. Standing at the nave point of the bridge, Captain Leoton Semper heard a polite cough and the shuffle of booted feet behind him, followed by the clipped accent of his flag lieutenant, the young officer maintaining a carefully neutral tone to his voice. Signal from the indefatigable, Captain. Do you wish us to acknowledge? Semper turned to face the young officer, studying his second-in-command's refined features. Hito Elante, he thought, a necromundan aristocrat's name. Strange to find one of his sort serving aboard a navy ship. And aristocrats are always ambitious. This one may bear watching, Semper noted. Riley remembering that assassination had once been a viable means of advancement for ambitious young navy officers during the dark days of the Age of Apostasy. Semper snapped back to the situation at hand, 
remembering that, as captain of one of the Emperor's warships, he now had little time for such moments of quiet musing. Acknowledge the signal from the indefatigable, Mr. Alante. Our compliments to its captain and officers, and our sincere hopes to see her again when we return home once again to Stranova. The flag lieutenant clicked his heels in the approved Navy style and nodded for the standard acknowledgement to be returned to the escort vessel. Semper turned to look out of the command deck viewing bay, seeing his own reflection staring back at him. It was an image almost identical to any one of the dozens of ancestral portraits displayed in the family manor house back home on Cipramundi. The same severe and hawk-like features of the elite Cipramundian officer class. The same proudly worn battle scars. The one which marked his face was the result of a boarding action assault he once led on an orc ship as a young junior lieutenant. The same resplendent uniform of a senior officer of the Imperial Navy of the Segmentum Obscurus. But it was to the gleaming captain stars on the collar of that uniform that his eye was most drawn. There had been Sempers in the Imperial Navy since before the Age of Apostasy. The very latest in the line wondered if, unlike most of his illustrious ancestors, he would ever live long enough to return to Cipramundi and to see the portrait of himself now hanging there along with all those others. He shook his head, focusing his vision on the star field beyond, his experienced eyes picking out the tiny moving dot of light that was the indefatigable. As he watched, the light flared brighter as the sword-class frigate fired up its engines and veered away from the Macarius to rejoin the picket line of scout ships and defence monitor vessels, now patrolling the fringes of the Stranovar system. He cursed, asking himself yet again where such precautions had been when the Chaos ships had swept out of warp space and caught most of Battle Squadron Stranovar helpless in space dock. The attack had been devastating, two-thirds of the squadron crippled or destroyed, but it was only in the aftermath that the full extent of the disaster became clear, as reports of similar sudden attacks came flooding in from all over the Gothic sector. This was no isolated event. The Eye of Terror had opened to unleash an invasion armada, and all of Battlefleet Gothic was now at war. If they were not to lose the whole of the Gothic sector, it was essential that the Imperial Navy counterattacked in force as soon as possible, and Lord Admiral Ravensburg had ordered every spaceworthy ship under his command to assemble for immediate deployment. As the only ship in the squadron to survive unscathed, the Macarius was the first to put out of space dock on orders to rendezvous with a squadron of Cobra destroyers in the uninhabited Dolorosa system before travelling on to join the battle group currently gathering in the Bahine Moor system. It would be there also that the ship would take on its new complement of Fury and Starhawk deep space attack craft to replace its aged interceptors and marauders. Slipping its moorings, the Macarius had seemed like a thief in the night as it glided past the drifting hulks of those ships destroyed in the attack and leaving behind the crippled remnants of the rest of the squadron. His was a troubled ship, Semper knew. There was anger and desire for revenge. But there was something else too. Fear. Fear of what was waiting for them out there in the warp, and of their new captain's ability to deal with it. This was Semper's first command, and the onset of war on a scale not seen since the Horus Heresy ten thousand years earlier would scarcely ease the traditional problems encountered by all new captains struggling to master an unfamiliar crew and vessel. This war would be a baptism of fire, which would see them either forged together in the heat of battle or swept away in the firestorm of conflict now raging through the Gothic sector. Semper turned, seeing the dozens of faces staring at him expectantly. Astrogation, he barked, in the same tone of command, that had first been drilled into him decades ago at the cadet training colleges on Cipramundi. Estimated time to the beacon. 1.3 hours, Flag Captain, came the reply. The officer at the astrogation lectern, checking the flickering symbols on the rune screen in front of him. Very good, Semper nodded, gesturing for the nearest signals officer to open up a comnet channel. 
Captain Semper to Magus Castaboris. Warp jump in 1.3 hours. Commence preparations immediately. Acknowledge. A pause. Then the reply from the ship's most senior Adeptus Mechanicus tech priest, his voice distorted either by the hiss of Comnet static or one of the cybernetic implants with which all acolytes of the machine god equipped themselves. Acknowledged. Heads looked up at Semper's next words. One more thing, venerable Castaborus. I don't know what my predecessor's feelings were on the matter, but as captain of this vessel I expect the presence of either its Technus Majoris or one of his most senior adepts on the bridge at all times. You and your brethren are part of this ship's crew and will act accordingly. Do I make myself clear? There was a long pause, and then the tech priest's reply. The terseness in his voice, detectable even over the crackle of the comnet. As you wish, my lord. I will join you on the bridge shortly. Semper noticed the silent nods of approval from many of the officers on the bridge. The navy depended on the knowledge of the Adeptus Mechanicus to operate its vessels, but the relationship between fleet officers and Mechanicus adepts was never an easy one. A warship has several would-be masters, but only one captain. Semper remembered his mentor, Admiral Hasten, once saying, To be in true command of your vessel, you must show your crew that you are the only master that matters. Semper's eyes swept the bridge, his gaze passing over the rows of silent servitors manning the console stations in the recessed choirs that lined the raised nave of the command deck. The captain's pulpit lay in the centre of the nave, where it met with the bridge's transept wings, and from where he could consult with his senior officers and oversee the vital gunnery, astrogation, ordnance control and surveyor sections of the command deck. Looking up, he saw tier upon tier of busy servitor drones and tech priests attending to the operation and adoration of the ship's ancient logic engines, each subsection of a dozen or more servitors and their tech priest overseer responsible for the monitoring of just one small part of the mighty machine mind which inhabited and animated the battlecruiser systems. The monitor galleries stretched up to the bridge's vaulted ceiling some twenty metres above, but Semper found the figure he was looking for on one of the lower levels, standing on a walkway which spanned the breadth of the central nave, and from where the command deck activity could be closely watched. The light from the nearby screens picked out the gleaming silver skulls on the figure's black uniform, and Semper noticed that few of the other crew members approached that area of the bridge. Having already asserted his authority over the Magos Technicus, it was time to deal with a far more intractable challenge to any captain's command. Commissar Kyogen! Semper called up to the figure in the shadows above. It is my intention to conduct an inspection of the ship and crew prior to warp jump. Would you care to join me? Mr. Olante, the bridge is yours. The ominous arrowhead shape of the contagion floated in space near the still-burning wreck of the Cobra-class destroyer. Of the other three vessels from the squadron, all that remained were the three fading clouds of superheated gas and dust several thousand kilometres distant. It was dark on the command deck of the contagion. Its captain found normal lighting levels uncomfortable after his eyelids and much of his skin had atrophied, but many of the command no longer had need of their eyes anyway. That same captain, Hendrik Morar, once one of the most famous names in the history of Battlefleet Gothic, passed one withered hand over the ruined screen in front of him, his eyes reading the battle report statistics which flickered across it. He grunted in pleasure, satisfied that he could not have fought the battle any better. Closing in on the burning destroyer, its air supply venting out into the vacuum of space in bright plumes of fire, it had been his intention to use the vessel for simple target practice, but then close-range surveyor scans had offered the possibility of a far more diverting pleasure for his crew. Prisoners. The remnants of the Cobra's crew were trapped in airtight compartments aboard the doomed ship. Morau! had immediately dispatched boarding parties 
chittering demon things, specially bred for this purpose, and usually kept confined in the contagion's festering hold. Ship-bound by his mutations, Moreau envied the creatures their sport as they searched through the wreck for pockets of life, and he had eagerly listened to the screams and pleading human voices as each group of survivors was found and slaughtered in turn. Morau would not deny his crew their spoils of victory, but he gave strict orders that some of the humans be taken alive and brought back for interrogation. The commander smiled at the thought, knowing that those taken alive and delivered into the eager hands of the ship's surgeon interrogator would soon wish that they had been butchered aboard their vessel with the rest of their comrades. As if on cue, Morau heard the distinctive shuffling footsteps behind him. Ever since his body had started fusing with his captain's chair, bony spires and wire-like tendrils growing out of him and connecting him to the demonic mind of his equally transformed ship, it had become impossible for Morau to leave his chair. However, he didn't need to be able to turn around to recognise the approach of his surgeon interrogator, Adolphus Tork. Tork stopped behind his captain, his heavy, fetid breath only adding to the miasmic foulness that passed for breathable atmosphere aboard the contagion. Moreau was secretly glad that he was unable to turn to face his old crewmate. The nature of some of Tork's mutations were unpleasant in the extreme, even to the captain of one of the Plague Lord's best warships. Were the prisoners to your satisfaction? Moreau asked. Most satisfactory. Talk slurred, his writhing worm tongues finding difficulty in forming the normal sounds of human speech. And one of them revealed something most interesting, Lord. The ships we ambushed were not recharging their warp drives as we imagined. They were waiting to rendezvous with an Imperial capital ship. Morau's nostrils flared with excitement, savouring the myriad stenches that circulated through his ship. In the aftermath of battle, when the ship released the waste products of its own spent power emissions into the air systems, the atmosphere aboard the contagion took on its own distinctive and highly charged aroma. To Morau, veteran of hundreds of space battles, it smelled of nothing less than victory. The name of this ship. The Lord Solar Macarius, Captain, Tork replied, his chaos-altered speech patterns stumbling over the name of one of the Imperium's greatest heroes. The Macarius. Morau breathed, resting back in his chair and searching his long memory. He dimly remembered fighting alongside a ship of that name in a fleet action against a force of Fra'al raiders in the Osiris Cluster. The contagion had been called the Vengeus then, and the name of the captain of the Macarius had been Rutgen Jago. But that had been over 600 years ago, as the humans of the Imperium reckoned time, and so much, oh yes so very much indeed, had changed since then. Whoever the master of the Macarius was now, he could never match the ability and experience of the Contagion's captain. And the record of the prisoner's interrogation. Preserved for your entertainment, captain, rasped Tork, a taloned hand snatching out to offer his captain the data crystal, still slick with human blood. Maror fed the crystal into one of the weeping blister ports on his command console, which opened to accept it with a wet, sucking noise. He would review and enjoy the scenes recorded on it while he planned the ambush and destruction of the Macarius. Mleart and Semper could feel the beginnings of a headache, always a sure sign of an approaching warp jump as the vessel's ancient warp field generators powered up and sent out unpredictable psychic vibrations into the minds of its crew. All around him, preparations were underway for the jump into the Immaterium. 
In their engine section, Sanctum, the tech priests would be striking runes upon the workings of the ship's mighty warp drives, while Semper could smell the sickly sweet scent of burning incense that told him the Adeptus Ministorum confessors were at their work, moving through the ship and bestowing protective blessings upon the crew in anticipation of their journey into the demon-haunted realm of the Immaterium. From their position on the gantry platform overlooking the metal cavern of the forward starboard gun bay, Semper and Commissar Kyogen could see work teams of hundreds, sweating ratings, hauling the massive gun batteries back along the tracks to their standby positions, or turning the huge gear wheels to close the thick blast shields over the bay's viewing ports. Semper looked at the brooding shape of Koba Kyogen standing beside him. The commissar was a giant of a man, well over two metres tall. Semper knew that the uniform of a fleet commissar, gleaming black leather jackboots and pistol holster, thick black felt overcoats with polished silver skull buttons and laurel reef insignia, and high-peaked cap with burnished imperial eagle emblem, was designed to intimidate and inspire but even without it, the Commissar would still have struck an imposing figure. Semper glanced at the row of decorations on Kyogen's chest, noting the distinctive bright starburst cluster of the Order of the Gothic Star, identical to that pinned to the breast of Semper's own tunic. The skin of the Commissar's face was disfigured with the tell-tale marks of white-hot plasma splash, and one half of it was twisted into a permanent snarl, by a crude skin graft which Semper recognised as a typical makeshift piece of battlefield surgery. Medals and battle scars worn proudly. Semper thought to himself, he's no coward, this commissar, but how far can I depend on him? Semper gestured at the activity below. Your opinion, commissar, your assessment of the ship and its crew. We have a good cadre of command, crew, and petty officers familiar with the ship and its operations, but too many gaps have been filled amongst the lower rankings by untried recruits who haven't even made their first warp jump yet. Too many press-ganged convict scum as well, though they'll soon be wishing they were back in the work camps in Lubyanka once they get their first taste of space combat. Semper nodded, already impressed with Kyogen's straightforward way of talking. Maybe, he thought, I might actually have a useful officer here, and not just another scholar-progenium-created automaton. And your assessment of the ship's captain. Kyogen looked Semper straight in the eye as he answered. Your service record shows you to be a highly capable officer, and it is difficult to argue with Admiral Hasten's decision to promote you to your first full captaincy. There was a scream from the deck below, abruptly cut off, as one of the gun crew stumbled and was instantly crushed beneath the weapon carriage's huge rolling wheels. If Kyogen noticed, he gave no indication. Deaths amongst the lower ranks were so common on an Imperial warship that they passed unnoticed. You acquitted yourself well in the attack on Stranovar, but in view of your basic inexperience and the threat now facing the Gothic sector fleet, there must remain some doubts about your ability to captain a vessel of this size during the present crisis. A loud warning chime sounded over the comnet. Fifteen minutes to warp jump, and Kyogen shifted impatiently, obviously keen to be attending to his duties elsewhere. One last thing, Commissar, Semper said, sensing the other man's impatience. In the event of my death or injury, who would you choose to replace me as captain? It went unsaid that one cause of Semper's death might be Kyogen himself, since any fleet commissar could summarily execute a captain for anything they judged to be a serious dereliction of duty. Flag Lieutenant Ulante is next in the chain of command, replied the commissar. The fixed snarl carved into his face, deepening at the mention of Semper's second-in-command. But, noble title or no... He's still nothing more than necromundan hive trash. Hive trash have their place on a warship, but only as press gang conscripts. No senior officer would take orders from such a captain, no matter how high-born they claim to be. Semper took all this in without reaction. I see. Then who would you nominate instead? Myself, Captain, 
in the event of your death. I would consider it my proper duty to appoint myself in your place. Now, if that is all, I have to oversee the final security arrangements for the transition to the warp. And with that, Commissar Kyogen saluted smartly and turned and walked away, leaving the captain of the Macarius to wonder about the man who held the power of life and death over even him. On the gun deck below, Maxim Borosa glanced up at the two officers on the walkway above before a vicious kick from Goggle brought him sharply back to the business at hand. Back to work, Barossa, before I finish that piece of handiwork I started back on Lubyanka, spat the crew boss, giving the new conscript another swift kick for good measure. Maxim fell into step once more with the other members of the work gang as they hauled one of the huge gun carriages along the track. He winced, remembering the scars all over his back from the time Gogol and his gang had caught him and the boss had gone to work on him with a fire-heated blade. He had escaped, and once again Maxim cursed the fates which had brought them together again years later. Maxim press-ganged into service aboard the Macarius, only to find the gloating Gogol waiting for him. Maxim had been born into the lawless underworld of the hive cities of Stranovar, and had survived the gulag hell of the Lubyanka prison moon, but even he had few illusions left about his survival chances aboard an Imperial warship. Not with Goggle here, too. Spiritus Machina, intoned the metal-masked figure of Magus Castaborus, resplendent in his glittering robes of woven silicon. Prepare! To engage warp drives on my mark. The vital task of taking a ship into warp space could only be done by the most senior tech priest aboard, for only he could conduct the proper rituals, or knew the correct tetragrammaton code, the true secret name of that aspect of the machine god which inhabited the Macarius' systems, which allowed access to the ship's warp drives. Standing on the bridge and surrounded by a phalanx of adepts, the tech priest waited for the silent nod of assent from Leoton Semper before completing the ritual. Quinque, quintorum, tres, du, unas, engage us! At the Magus's command, the truly stellar levels of energy contained within the ship's plasma reactors were released into the warp engines ripping a hole in the fabric of space and pushing the cruiser forward into the Immaterium, the Gellerfield, the teardrop-shaped bubble of reality which protected the ship and its crew from the full fury of the Maelstrom, crackled with power as waves of warp energy lashed against it, rocking the Macarius from prow to stern. Inside the ship, the new recruits cringed in terror, their screams and cries almost drowning out the traditional litanies of protection chanted by the more experienced crewmates. Confessors, junior commissars and shotgun-armed petty officers walked every deck, encouraging the crew to keep good faith in the divine protection of the Emperor, but meanwhile keeping a close vigil for any sign of a demonic intrusion into the minds and bodies of their shipmates. On the bridge, the Magus stepped away from his control lectern and bowed silently to the captain, signalling that his task was over. As of now, the fate of the entire ship was now in the hands of another. Sealed off in his Pelista dome and guarded by fanatically loyal Navius Nobilite retainers who would not even allow the ship's captain himself to enter without their master's permission, Principal navigator Solon Cassander closed his eyes and removed the warding band from around his head, allowing him to open up the mystic third eye centred in the middle of his forehead. Looking out on the true face of the maelstrom with his mystic warp sight, he could see most of the length of the ship extended out before him. Aft lay the engine section, comprising fully one-third of the ship's three-kilometre length, but below him was the main body of the Macarius, bristling with crenellated gun turrets, observation domes and spires, antennae arrays, and other baroque features of the vessel's superstructure. On each side of the hull 
were the heavy weapon batteries and the tiered ramparts of the cruiser's launch base, each bay capable of unleashing wave upon wave of fast attack fighters and bombers. Ahead of him was the fearsome armoured beak of the prow, its metres-thick solid adamantine armour, designed to smash through the hulls of enemy vessels in a full head-on ramming attack. There, too, was the ship's main frontal armament. Six missile tube tunnels, each firing a 30-metre-long plasma torpedo. The firepower of the Macarius was formidable, but Solon Cassander knew that it was insignificant in comparison to the power contained in the merest flicker of warp energy in the maelstrom raging around them. The navigator paused, clearing all thoughts from his conscious mind, and extended his gaze into the higher realms of the warp, using the psychic signal of the Astronomicon as a beacon to plot a safe course through the currents and tempests of the Immaterium. Course changes and navigation instructions would be relayed down to the command deck for immediate implementation, but for the next few days, while the ship was in transit through the warp, navigator Cassander would be the true master of the Macarius. Standing immobile on the bridge, Semper stared in fascination at the complex and ever-changing energy patterns of the warp as they were electronically interpreted on one of the command deck's opticon screens. Navigators claimed to be able to sometimes see glimpses of the future in the swirling patterns of the warp. Watching the images of the ebb and flow of the currents, Semper wondered what the future held for the men and ships of Battlefleet Gothic. Good hunting. It was the traditional greeting hail between ships of the fleet as they left on patrol or encountered each other in the warp. But now, with war fleets of Abaddon, the despoiler, pouring out of the Eye of Terror and a dozen navy bases already fallen to the sudden onslaught of the chaos attack, Leoton Semper was left to wonder exactly who would be the hunter and who the hunted in this war. The Contagion drifted in earth and seemingly lifeless on the solar tides, its power systems reduced to such a low output as to make it, to all intents, invisible to the electronic senses of another vessel, his own reactions deadened by the low power levels trickling through the ship's systems. It took Maror some seconds to realise that the ship's navigator seer was standing before him, the flesh of the navigator's face bubbled and suppurated as he spoke. Your pardon, flag captain, but... I know, Moreau said, cutting off the sibilant hiss of the voice of his demon-possessed navigator. I have sensed it too. The powers of the warp warn us of the approach of our prey. Moreau settled back into his chair contemplating with pleasure the prospect of the coming battle. On the fringes of the Dolorosa system, a miniature second sun suddenly blossomed in the vacuum of space, its light outshining that of the real star at the far distant centre of the planetary system. Waves of energy cascaded out of the extra-dimensional breach as a three-kilometre-long metal leviathan ripped its way back into the normal universe, its shield straining at near-overload point to withstand the terrible energies surging around it. His Divine Majesty's ship, the Lord Solar Macarius, had completed a successful exit from the warp. Leaving the tech priests and confessors to their prayers of thanks, Leoton Semper took a position in his captain's pulpit. A ship was at its most vulnerable in the moments immediately after re-entering normal space. When its power levels were still in flux and the energy burst of its warp exit broadcast its existence and position to any other vessel in the system. Mastrogation, Semper barked. Determine our course and position. Surveyors, locate the position of destroyer squadron Mako and check for presence of any other unknown vessels. Captain to all decks, raise blast shields and make ready all weapons. There was a pause while the crew moved to carry out his orders, and then the responses started coming back. Astrogation reporting, 
Position confirmed as the Dolorosa system. Estimate we are within 89.7% accuracy of intended exit point. Semper made a mental note to commend his navigator. Any jump that hit its intended exit point with more than a 70% level of accuracy was considered the mark of a master. The surveyor reporting heavy interference from warp energy residue unable to locate Squadron Racco at the rendezvous coordinates. Communications reporting no response to our coded hailing signals, dead air on all standard fleet frequencies. Semper turned to look at the empty starfield revealed beyond the viewing bay's now raised blast shields. Never mind long-distance surveyor reports, with the bridge's enhanced viewing devices, they should actually be able to see the waiting squadron. Emperor's throne. Where were they? Several hundred thousand kilometres directly behind the Macarius. The contagion closed in on its prey. Power flowed through the chaos vessel as its energy levels were gradually brought up and Hendrik Morau fought to keep the growing excitement out of his voice as he stared at the bright target blip on the surveyor's screen. Maintain course and increase speed by mark point two. Stay in his warp trail. Bring the prow batteries and dorsal lances up to half power. Void shields to remain down until I give the order. Morau watched the target blip grow brighter on the screen in front of him. It was an ambush tactic he had long ago honed to perfection, using the energy trail of a craft recently emerged from the warp to mask his own approach from directly behind it. Before the time the enemy even knew he was there, the contagion would already be in position to deliver a crippling strike to its power systems. The defenceless Imperium ship would then be boarded and seized, and Morau looked forward to the prospect of more prisoners, particularly if the Macarius' captain was amongst them. The Chaos captain had already given Surgeon Interrogator Talk a careful and highly specific instructions on what he wanted done should his opposing number be foolish enough to allow himself to be taken alive. Possible surveyor scan anomaly detected. The toneless voice of one of the servitors rang out, followed by Semper's urgent reply. Identify! Officers converged on the drone's position, knowing that their captain wanted the crucial information from a human rather than one of the soulless man-machine things that operated many of the command deck's monitor systems. Hito Ulante leaned over the console, quickly interpreting the surveyor scan symbols which flashed across the screen. Still a lot of warp energy interference, but possible target blip 15 to 20,000 kilometres immediately behind us and closing. It could be another ship. Semper didn't hesitate. Helm control, hard to port, engineering, open port vent valves and engage plasma reactor emergency release systems. Target veering to port, energy surge in new power systems, croaked the contagion's toad-bodied helmsman. He's detected us, Moreau snarled with a curse. Full power to forward weapons, fire when ready. Flag captain, the void shields, we should bleated a heretic tech priest before one of Moreau's plague marine bodyguards savagely cut him down in response to the curt gesture from their master. No time, bellowed Moreau in fury. Lock on with forward weapons and open fire. The Macarius swung round in space, gargoyle-faced vents opening up along its port side to bleed gaseous clouds of broiling plasma out into space. The expelled energy cloud appeared as a hazy afterimage on the contagion surveyor screens, confusing the Chaos ship's targeting systems and sending its opening weapons fire blazing harmlessly past the Imperial cruiser. Engage! Void shields! Morau bellowed, already knowing that the Macarius's manoeuvre would bring its port batteries into firing alignment before enough energy could be diverted to the contagion's void shield generators. At this range, 
The damage would not be critical, but the Chaos Cruiser sustained several hole-deep hits as it passed through the sights of the Macarius's weapons batteries before its void shields finally powered up sufficiently to absorb the energy blasts and macro shell impacts. The moment of danger over, Hendrik Moreau sat back in his chair, grudgingly impressed by his enemy's unexpected resourcefulness. Perhaps this engagement might be even more enjoyable than he anticipated. Semper watched the target blip on the scanner screen move out of weapons range for the time being. The initial exchange of fire over, both ships would now withdraw to manoeuvre for the best possible advantage in their next attack runs. They would also use this moment to learn as much about their enemy as possible. Surveyors, identify enemy vessel by class and name if you can. The officer of surveyors consulted the readings on his lectern, calling up centuries-old data from the vast repositories of information held in the ship's logic engines. Vessel is a Hades class heavy cruiser. It's broadcasting a modified form of an old segmentum obscurus fleet identification code. But we should be able to... Vander's oath. It's the Vengis. A murmur of shocked disbelief, rippled round the command deck, cut short by the urgent words of a junior signals officer. The enemy vessel is hailing us, flag captain. The enemy captain wishes to speak with you. On audio, Semper ordered, wearily noting the way Kyogen unsnapped the fastenings on his holstered bolt pistol. Have faith, comrade commissar, the captain remarked, smiling grimly. Perhaps he merely wishes to discuss the terms of his surrender. Even over the interference of the ship-to-ship link, the inhuman nature of the voice that suddenly filled the interior of the Macarius's command deck was all too apparent. It was a voice thick with decay, each word bubbling obscenely up from a body bloated full of its own poisons. My congratulations, Captain, gloated the voice. It has been some time, several centuries, in fact, since I last saw an Immerman maneuver implemented so well. This is Captain Leoton Semper of his divine majesty's ship, the Lord Solar Macarius, Semper said. Identify yourself. The voice on the link gave a sick, wet laugh. <laughs> I regret. We cannot see one another, Captain. But I imagine that you would find my appearance much changed from whatever portraits and statues of me still exist on Port Moor. I am Flag Captain Hendrik Murat, master of the vessel once known to you as the Vengis. Impossible, snapped Semper. Murat and his crew were lost to the warp after the defeat of the Bly Mutiny Renegades six hundred years ago. Lost? choked the voice of Moreau. Perhaps it might have seemed when we were marooned in the Immaterium and madness and disease took so many of us. But how could we be lost when our suffering led us to find salvation in a power far greater than the withered thing which sits even now upon the Golden Throne? This ship is called Contagion now, Captain and we gladly serve the glory of the Great One who found us there in the warp and remade us in his own pestilent image. On board the contagion, Morau contemplated the glowing icon, marking the Macarius's position on the Opticon screen, and savoured the hiss of dead static over the now silent comlink. We've closed communications, Lord reported one of his nearby crew things. Enemy vessel now changing course and breaking away from engagement zone. Let them try and run. They won't get far, said the rotting figure in the captain's chair. Power up the engines. When they try to escape into the immaterium, we'll be ready to take up the chase. Opinions. Asked Flag Captain Semper, looking at the senior bridge officers assembled before him and aware that some of them might take this unorthodox command tactic to be a sign of weakness in their new captain. 
It was Remus Nader, the ship's stolid veteran master of ordnance and the longest-serving officer aboard the Macarius who was first to speak. Without our payload of attack craft, our offensive capabilities are limited. Even if we already had our new Starhawk squadrons aboard, we would still be outgunned against a Hades-class ship. I am satisfied that your decision to disengage from contact with a more powerful enemy vessel is the best course of action under the circumstances. There was a murmur of assent from many of the other officers present, although Semper noticed no sign of agreement from his second-in-command. You have a different opinion, Mr. Ulante, Semper asked. Forgive me, Captain, but if the enemy vessel truly is the renegade Vengis, and its captain exactly whom he says he is, then we are not out of danger yet. The young lieutenant paused, gathering his thoughts before continuing under the steely gaze of his captain. Morale's treaty on tactics is still required reading for all Collegium cadets, and he was known to be a most determined and tenacious opponent. Indeed, his relentless pursuit and harrying of the Eldar cruiser Changeling is now part of fleet legend. It seems unlikely that Morau, if that is who he truly is, will give up the chase so easily, and may even be willing to take the battle against us into the warp itself. After all, we have long known that the demon things which helm such renegade vessels have warp senses superior even to those of our own navis nobility. Uh, there can be no guarantee that we would be able to evade them in the warp as we would any other normal vessel. All those present waited on the captain's response, but if their new captain had an answer to his second-in-command's points, he chose to keep it to himself. Enemy contact detected! Vander's Ophis found us again! All decks brace for impact! It had been three days since their initial encounter with the contagion in the Dolorosa system. Three days of emergency warp jumps and constant skirmishing with the Chaos vessel, the Macarius unable to shake off its pursuer. Unable to match its opponent's firepower, the Imperial vessel had retreated into the warp where... As Flag Lieutenant Alante had predicted, it had still been impossible to evade the demon-piloted Chaos ship amongst the storms and tides of the Immaterium. Time and again, the Chaos ship had emerged, weapons firing from one of the swirling energy storms, forcing the Macarius to crash, jump back out of the warp, to emerge in the empty, interstellar void between star systems. Morao's ship would either follow them, not allowing them sufficient time to properly recharge their warp drives, or would wait in ambush for them to re-enter the warp again, the contagion holding position on the ever-changing warp currents in a show of skill that no human navigator could ever match. It had been a battle of energy levels and crew stamina instead of firepower and ordnance attacks, Leerton Semper grimly realised, and one which his ship was losing. Its power systems and human crew overloaded to the point of exhaustion by the effort of so many emergency jumps. Now the contagion was coming at them once more, its now familiar energy signature emerging from one of the random chaos of warp currents, which it had up until this moment been using to mask its presence. Even though the viewing bay blast shields were down, Semper could almost imagine the scene outside the sinister delta shape of the Chaos Cruiser, gliding towards them through the warp. Its tall and distinctively narrow-shaped command tower cutting through the stuff of the Immaterium like a shark's fin, its massive lance battery turrets crackling with energy as they swung around to bear on their target. The Macarius rocked violently as the Chaos ship raked it with a primed volley of massed energy weapons fire, and for a moment the Imperial ship's command deck, its blast shields lowered for warp travel, and many of its opticon screens switched off for maximum energy conservation, seemed more like a besieged underground bunker than the bridge of a warship, as it shook under the impact of the enemy broadside. Void shields penetrated, starboard side, judged Master of Ordnance Nida, impassively, drawing on the experience of a long and battle-scarred naval career. No critical damage, but probably at least one of the starboard gun bays knocked out of action. 
It would be at least another minute before the official damage report confirmed the veteran officer's opinion, neither dry-toned damage appraisal containing any hint of the awful devastation inflicted on the hundreds of crewmen in those gun bays as the barrage of lance beams, mass reactive explosive shells and white-hot plasma streams ripped through the Macarius's metre-thick armoured hull. At Semper's command, the Macarius locked on with its remaining starboard weapons, both ships firing simultaneous broadsides as they came abeam of each other. Combat in warp space was up close and deadly, the range of scanners and weapon targeters so limited here that engagements took place at distances measured in hundreds rather than tens of thousands of kilometres. The area between the two ships was saturated with energy, as enough firepower to level a city was unleashed across it. Void shield strikes registered as bright blossoms on surveyor screens, and both ships shuddered under the impact of on-target hits. Warning! Power system failure! A tech priest adept signalled as alarms went off on the bridge. Semper swore, realising that they had either overloaded their dwindling energy levels or had taken reactor damage in the last broadside. Either way, his short captaincy of the Macarius was about to come to an ignominious end. The ship's ancient autosystems would maintain the Gellerfield's own emergency generators, but before they exhausted themselves, the contagion would long ago have come about to blow his defenceless ship into drifting warp debris. Everyone aboard the Macarius was already dead, and Semper suddenly realised that dead men have nothing left to lose. Lower Gellerfields to 60% of normal safety level, he yelled. Channel excess power into manoeuvring systems and hold it there in reserve. No! It was the voice of... Magus Castaborus, the tech priest, reacting in shock to Semper's order. Commissar Kyogen, stop him! Without the protection of the Geller field, we will be torn apart by the forces of the Maelstrom. Semper looked up to see the Commissar bearing down on him, sidearm already drawn, when the figure of Hito Elante interposed itself in front of the Commissar, the flag lieutenant, calmly staring down the barrel of the bolt pistol now levelled at his face. As second-in-command, I concur with the captain's order, Commissar. Shoot us both if you must, but our deaths will only precede your own by a matter of minutes. At least this way, the captain is giving us a fighting chance. Kyogen's aim never wavered as he called out to the nearby tech priest. Magus Castaborus, is such a stratagem possible? Yes, perhaps, if the enemy can be lured close enough, but the greater chances are that... Thank you, Magus. That is all I need to know, said the Commissar, stepping aside and lowering his pistol. You may proceed, Flag Captain. Semper watched the image readings on the main surveyor screen. The contagion had come around and was now standing off their port bow, from where it could safely finish them off with its long-range batteries. Come on, you arrogant bastard, thought Semper. This is what you really want. This is what you've been fighting so hard for these last few days. Come in close and gloat on your moment of victory. Enemy vessels, power systems failing. Warpfield, now at less than two-thirds integrity, reported the slivering voice of one of the contagion's heretic tech priests. Morau leaned forward in his chair staring through the command deck's main viewing port at the distant shape of the stricken Imperial warship. The servants of the powers of chaos had no fear of the true face of the warp. He tried to read his enemy's intentions in the flickering patterns of the maelstrom, sensing a possible trap. But surely only a madman would risk the eternal damnation of his soul to the hungry forces of the Immaterium with such a desperate gambit. The chaos commander had witnessed the spectacle of total warp-field failure several times in his centuries-long career, and it was a sight never to be forgotten. The very structure of a ship being unravelled as the demon things of the warp coalesced into physical form to feed on the souls of its doomed crew. Morau smiled at the memory and passed a fleshless hand over the activation rune on his lectern screen 
looking to find the truth in the surveyor symbols displayed there. He's not taking the bait. We must raise the stakes higher. Lower Gellerfield level to 40%, Semper ordered, trying to keep the tremor out of his voice. There was a deep groan from all around them, the ship's hull starting to buckle inwards as the forces of the warp pressed in. All around the weakened Gellerfield, the many of the Adeptus Mechanicus adepts on the bridge cried out in fear, believing it to be the angry voice of the machine god's spirit inhabiting the Macarius. Magus Castaborus led his adepts in fevered prayer, knowing that the warp field could not maintain its integrity for more than one or two minutes at such a low energy level. Semper stared at the image of the contagion on the flickering green screen, willing it to move closer. Hendrik Morau was a tenacious and determined opponent, yes, but Semper remembered reading of another side to this battlefield gothic legend. Morau had been a cruel and capricious martinet who had once ordered over 3,000 mutineers to be fed out of an open airlock. This was a man who had enjoyed the suffering of others, even before throwing in his lot with the Emperor's enemies. How could he resist the lure of the spectacle now being offered to him? Enemy vessel, closing! As the surveyor finished speaking, Semper was already issuing orders. Engage reserve power systems and reinstate Geller field integrity. Elm control, engage starboard manoeuvring, thrusters, and bring us about, heart to port. Mr. Nider... Torpedoes, flag captain. Semper's savage smile of triumph matched that of his officer. Oh yes, Mr. Nider. Torpedoes. Target coming to New Edding. Hendrik Moreau didn't need the helmsman's warning to understand the trap he had fallen into. With sickening realisation, he saw the Imperial ship's armoured prow swing round to face the oncoming chaos vessel. To the veteran captain... It was like staring down the barrel of a loaded bolt gun. Or six loaded bolt guns, as the Macarius's six torpedo ports gaped open, exhaust gases streaming out of them as the missiles within fired up their launch engines. The Dictator-class cruiser had used its torpedo ordnance before in the previous few days' engagements against the Contagion, but every shot fired had lost itself in the currents of the Maelstrom before it could reach its intended target. These could not be lost. Not at this range. Launched in close spread, all six found their target, hitting the Contagion amidship on its underside, the combined explosions all but wrenching the renegade cruiser in half. One unexploded warhead continued on and up through a dozen deck levels, detonating several seconds later inside the contagion's field generators. Hendrik Moreau was ripped out of his chair by the impact of the first salvo of explosions. He had just enough time to feel the agony from his severed bio-link tendrils before the last torpedo destroyed the warp shields and all the demons of hell, it seemed rushed in to claim the soul that he had unknowingly promised to them so long ago. Vessel destroyed, confirmed the surveyor officer. Leerton Semper looked at the telltale readings which indicated the destruction of the contagion and tried to imagine the incredible scene happening right now on the other side of the Macarius's sealed viewing ports. The renegade cruiser being wrenched apart by the fury of the warp as hungry things fought over the souls of its crew. He deactivated the lectern screen and turned to see Ulante, his second-in-command, standing expectantly before him. Semper hadn't slept in days, a fact he suddenly became acutely aware of. Suddenly he felt tired. Very tired. Orders, flag captain. Assess battle damage and use whatever power we have left to exit the warp. We'll recharge our generators and make any necessary repairs before continuing on to Bahin Moor. You have the bridge, Mr. Ulante. Maxim Barossa picked his way carefully through the still-burning metal and human wreckage of the gun bay. The bay adjacent to this one had taken a direct hit in the battle, and the blast doors hadn't sealed fast enough to stop the wave of fire that came roaring along the gun deck. Maxim had acted fast, 
pulling two of his fellow press gang conscripts down on top of him to act as human shields as the wave of fire rolled over them. Crawling out from under their heat-blasted bodies, he'd thought he was the only one left alive in the entire bay. And then he found Gogol. The crew boss was pinned beneath a collapsed gantry beam, his legs crushed. The beam had sheltered him from the worst of the firestorm that had swept through the bay. But the heat flash had left him blind. Gogol stared up at him with sightless eyes, sensing that someone else was close to him. Who's there? he cried. Don't just stand there. Help me. Go fetch the ship's surgeon. Wait here, Maxim told him, thickening his voice in disguise, and went off to sift in the nearby wreckage. He came back with something that suited his purposes exactly. A metre and a half of engineer's wrench used to make repairs to the gun track. Gogol never knew what hit him. Three swift blows followed by a final satisfying crunch of bone. And Maxim's chances of surviving life in Battlefleet Gothic had just increased immeasurably. Happy with the way things had worked out, he sat down and waited for the rescue crews to arrive. Six days later, his Divine Majesty's ship, Lord Solar Macarius, emerged from the warp on the edge of the Bian Moor system, its comnet systems instantly picking up the reassuring sounds of dozens of different Imperial-coded channels of busy radio traffic. A squadron of defence monitor ships were on patrol nearby, one of them breaking off to escort the cruiser through the minefields, recently sown around the warp jump beacon and on towards the battle group armada now assembling in system. Got hunting, Macarius, signalled the defence ship captain, noticing the recent battle damage scarring the hull of the dictator cruiser. Got enough, replied the captain of the Macarius. Good enough. And there you have the end of chapter one. This is a an old novel, one of the first novels that GW did. It's a classic. It's a, a two-parter uh, covering the Gothic War in detail, I guess. Uh, it was one of the first times they actually took like an existing campaign. So the Gothic uh, game came out, Battlefleet Gothic with the spaceships, you know, and you play a game with the spaceships and then they had this book that came along uh, in concert with it to act as a sort of... You know, to add more depth to it, I guess, is the idea. You know, you'd have this novel and then these two novels going along while Battlefleet Gothic was released. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. There was another book series as well with Tao and a rogue trader. Anyway, this is a great book. It's a great novel. It's really harsh as well, so you'll enjoy it. <laughs> it's uh, it's like older 40k, but it's not as old as some of the other stuff. Like, um, it's probably from about 2001, 2002, maybe. Something like that. So it's a little bit more up to date with like the law, uh, law accurate, you know what I mean, with um, different things. And I don't think much has changed really. I've, I think this will be pretty accurate, like um, it's pretty in line with everything. Gordon Reen is a great writer as well. He was involved with the Blood Quest thing. I think he wrote the Blood Quest. Yeah, Blood Quest, he wrote that, which is cool as well. Great series. And um, this is really good. It's got some amazing moments. I'd forgot some of the things, you know. Yeah, there's some, there's some great moments, especially with this guy we just, uh, we've heard now, who's just caved someone's head in. <laughs> but it's got like nice little jokes and um, some harsh stuff and some really awesome moments and uh, hopefully you will enjoy it at the moment I am in a bit of a technical situation my computer is still being repaired so this is as good as I can get it basically I'm using a computer that's really crap and old and it crashes regularly so I mean I don't know how long it will take me to actually process this video uh, yeah I mean it'll probably cr like I'm expecting it to crash like, about an hour is as much as I can really, really possibly do. I mean, I've so, like, any of the big sort of campaign videos and stuff, I've got to hold off. But I'm probably going to do Vrax. Uh, but I'm probably going to do a Vrax video that's, like, seven hours, eight hours long. It's going to be one big thing. It's be split up into chapters, don't worry. But it, I'll be releasing it all in one go rather than separate videos. But I can't do anything real. About an hour is basically what I'm doing. And um, until I get my computer back, probably... Even even about an hour is probably a bit too much. I'm probably going to cut down and just do things that are about 10 or 20 minutes. Anyway, 
obviously to do because of that, I can't at the minute <laughs> because it'll crash my program, my video editing program, if I try and put the subtitles in. This is how bad my computer is, right? This is how dated it is. I can basically put the audio in and turn it into a video so I can upload it to YouTube, but that's it. <laughs> I can't mess about with some, you know, with credits and moving things and fancy things like that. I can't do anything. I've got to just do bare bones basic. But thank you to everybody supporting the channel. Really appreciate it. And it really, really, really helps, particularly in this time when I've been a bit, you know, I've been out of action because my computer's in for repair. So having you guys support me really helps, you know, top things up for me and really makes this, you know, still viable. If you would like to support the work because you enjoy what I'm doing here and want me to do more, please do become a YouTube channel member or you can go over to Patreon. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. Thank you very much. If any other, if you want to use any of the options there, uh, I really, really appreciate it. But if you're not going to do that, that's fine. I understand. I understand. You just don't care. I understand. But please do give the video a like. I really appreciate that. And let me know in the comments what you think as well, because it's been a while since I've done anything like this. It's been a fair bit. So uh, do let me know in the comments what you thought. Uh, feedback is good. Even if I don't use your feedback and just ignore what you say, uh, I do appreciate the feedback. So thanks for that. <laughs> I'll be back again with more stuff soon let me know in the comments though and share this about obviously and um, hopefully we'll get this I won't be taking forever to get this finished uh, when you've heard this one I'll probably have another one or two ready to go um, depending on how long it takes to actually process them and get them you know turned into videos and uploaded onto the internet but we'll see I mean I, you know we'll see hopefully I get my computer back very very soon and I, that will speed everything up considerably and I'll also get to play Hearts of Iron which I haven't been able to play now for five weeks, and it's killing me inside. I feel bad about myself. It's terrible. All I can do is play Fallout New Vegas on my Xbox. That's it. You understand the pain I'm in, yeah? You understand the horror of my existence? I mean, yeah, there's family, and I've got friends, and, like, you know, women, and all this, like, all these things, like, real-life things, but I don't really care about them. All I really want to do is play Hearts of Iron, and I can't. So if you want to make my life feel, if you want to make me feel better, if you want to help me out... If you want to help yourself out, you want to make yourself feel better by helping me out, then you can become a YouTube channel member by clicking the join button below. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I'll see you later. Ta-ra. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. Like the video. Subscribe. Share the video. Let me know in the comments. Blah, blah, blah. Have a good one. Oh, okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>